Please join with me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Living God, help us so to hear your holy word that we may truly understand, that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Our message today comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Hear these words. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. As you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making melody to the Lord in your hearts, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of God for the people of God. So our passage today is about Thanksgiving, about being thankful. Um, When I think about Thanksgiving... I tend to think that there are two kinds of people at Thanksgiving. There are those who gather for uh, the meal, particularly the bird, right? Now, the other group of people are the people who gather for the meal, but for the sides. I can see you're already negotiating, right? Some of you are, are at Thanksgiving for the bird, and others are there for the sides. Now, um, I don't want to tell you that I'm not there for the bird, but it, it really is the sides uh, for me. Um, in fact, there's this great story. Um, the first time I got invited to Thanksgiving at my then-girlfriend's parents' house named Amy Cox, um, I, I remember um, getting there and, and like what, you know, when you go over for dinner at someone's house, if, if it's a really important dinner, you, you know, my parents would always tell me, be sure to um, compliment them on something. And um, of course, I didn't uh, remember to compliment um, Amy's parents on something until we were in the thick of the meal. And um, the thing that had just been passed to me was the green bean casserole, right? Anybody familiar with green bean casserole, right? Um, You know, those of you who make it correctly put the um, uh, crunchy fried onions on top, right? Those of you who don't make it correctly, I'm sorry, you should try it the way the rest of us do it, right? And, and, um, and so what do I do? I just really quickly say, as I put another helping on my plate, oh, Miss Cox, this is just the best green bean casserole I've ever had. And I said, is it, an, is it a family recipe? And she says, just as straight and, you know, non-plus as possible, she says, no, it's on the back of the fried onions container. Have you not ever seen it? And I thought, I don't know if that was a win or a loss, <laughs> but let's just keep going, right? I, I wonder if you've had those moments, right? Thanksgiving is such a, a powerful holiday, and we often talk about how Thanksgiving should not just be one day of the year, but rather should be something that we do regularly, right? 
Um, I, I don't know how well we accomplish that, right? Because the world continues to tell us over and over again that we, that we don't have enough um, and that we should be striving for more instead of being thankful for what we have. Now, um, this last Christmas Eve, um, uh, I, we, we didn't make as much green bean casserole. Yeah, yes, I am uh, one-track-minded uh, when it comes to th- some things. We didn't make enough green bean casserole. It was uh, Christmas Eve's at our house because, you know, I, I have to work. Um, and so everybody, we also have the only grandchild um, on that side of the family. And so everybody comes to our house. Anyways, I didn't get to have as much green bean casserole. So after New Year's, I decided I would make up a pan, and it was great. It was hilarious when I put it out for dinner, uh, because we trade around who cooks dinner at our house. Um, The people in my household said, what is this? And I said, it's green bean casserole. And they looked at me like, but it's not a holiday. And I was like, it's on the back of the fried onions box. Why does it have to be for a holiday? It was hilarious. Anyways, and so it was so good, the next week, you know what I did? I made another batch of green bean casserole. And then the week after that, I did it as well. And I just want to tell you, like this idea of Thanksgiving every uh, day in the year is going to be rough because the green bean casserole is going to get you, right? Um, you know, but what we really mean is that we uh, become a, a people who cultivate an attitude of gratitude, Our passage today really focuses in on uh, thanksgiving and gratitude. And I want to just kind of, it's five verses. I want us to read through and just kind of get familiar with it. Um, You got to appreciate kind of Paul here. He says, be careful then how you live. Uh, Okay. Um, uh, Paul says, live as uh, not as unwise people, but as wise people makes me stop for a second, right? Paul's saying, be careful. Be careful of how you live. It's almost like he's trying to say that all accidents happen within one mile of your house, right? What, what does it mean to say, be careful? And then he makes a distinction between wise and unwise folk. Um, I think for Paul, Paul would assume that we are living a different life that we are living different from our neighbors and different from the world around us, that we are not those who take in the media and the marketing and the advertising, but rather we are those who listen to what God calls us to be and we react and move from there. That, That we would be people who our Sunday faith connects with our Monday through Friday lives. Now, um, Paul goes on to say, so do, uh, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Okay, full stop. The days are evil? Did, did that catch you when Barbara Monte um, was reading scripture? I mean, like, okay, evil's really hard, right? So maybe some days are bad and some days are good. I mean, Mondays are a little bit terrifying, right? Fridays are awesome, right? I mean, are the days really evil, Um, As we think about what it means to um, fill our days with faithful life, we can find a way to turn the days that are evil into days that are good. But Paul here wants us to waste no time. He says, um, uh, you know, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will 
of the Lord is. Now, um, Paul here in this passage is saying, get ready and get out. Get ready for what's coming and get out. Um, Paul here is writing because he really thinks that the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus is going to be like next Thursday. So, so, so don't get too invested in what's going on. In fact, some commentators uh, feel like here in Ephesians that Paul doesn't really, he's not, not doing a really good job because Jesus says we should make disciples for the transformation of the world, you know, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I'm with you all to the ends of the age, right? Um, uh, commentators would like for Paul to tell us to, to camp out, to hang out, to make a difference in this place where we are. Now, what does it mean to be people who want to see the world change? What does it mean to kind of fix what's wrong? Some of us uh, uh, think that it's a good idea to make a difference, right? Leave it better than you found it, kind of an approach. I want to say that that's not really the gospel, that as um, uh, faithful people, God has put us in this place not to polish and buff what's here, but to usher in a total transformation of the world, right? To usher in a total transformation of the world. And so instead of fixing little bits and pieces, um, Paul's encouraging us to get invested, to uh, be careful, to watch out for ourselves. Watching out for ourselves. So verse uh, 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here, I think what Paul is saying is Christians should be people who are happy. They should be joyful. Christians should be people who are giddy with the excitement. Now, uh, when you think about church folk, do you think about joyful, giddy, and excited? I don't. I mean, some of you are smiling now, which is nice. You picked up the key, the, the clue. Um, but sometimes we have quite serious faces. Sometimes we are quite intentional about what's wrong with the world. We want to argue about which wrong of the world is the most uh, wrongest of wrongs of the world, right? And I think what Paul is saying here in Ephesians is there should be some joy um, so when he brings up drinking, I don't think he's trying to rail against drinking. I think that that's an illustration. Uh, the, the people that he's writing to, they go, oh, you want us to be carefree and excited and giddy, kind of like Friday night. And he's like, no, close, but no, right? In fact, I really think this language around filled with the Holy Spirit really does come from the idea of uh, in Acts, right? Peter uh, preaches and they speak in tongues and uh, the folk there in the city with them say, hey, look, it's only 10 a.m. and Peter's drunk, right? And he's, they say, no, we are happy with the Holy Spirit. We are not filled with wine. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. That joy and giddiness is infectious. So uh, being careful, paying attention to the world around you, investing in the world around you. Um, uh, in 2017, there was an author who wrote a book called The Benedict Option. And it uh, comes from um, this concept that um, the, world, the culture and world is dying 
And if we don't want to get sucked down with them, then we should circle the wagons, make a world that's like a monastery cordoned off from the world, and preserve the faith until all the crazy pagans die off. That's a happy message, isn't it? Right? And it comes from this idea of the rule of St. Benedict, which was how uh, the Christian faith and literacy and some other things survived the Dark Ages as the, um, uh, uh, in the midst of the medieval times. Um, the Benedict Option. Now, what the Benedict Option requires is that we separate ourselves, that we make our own schools, that we write our own books, that we have our own music, that we have our own little world that's all beautiful and perfect and Christian, and that we never mix with the suffering, difficulty, and evil of the world around us. Do you get like a little like stir in your gut like that? I don't think that's Jesus. Like, I don't know if that's right. It's interesting to separate ourselves, but to separate ourselves means we limit our effect in the world around us. Now, when the book came out, I thought, well, if we're gonna do Benedict option, let's do Franciscan option. Are you familiar with St. Francis of Assisi? Right? Um, Francis's followers were like, they were like hobo preachers that wandered the countryside making a difference by caring and serving others. They're like, oh, why won't somebody write the Franciscan option, right? We could all sell what we have, um, get in, uh, invested in the world around us, and make a huge difference. And of course, you know, there's a reason why no one's written the Franciscan option because nobody wants to sell all their stuff. And then I thought about the Ignatian Option. Some of you are familiar with Ignatius of Loyola. He started um, essentially what became the kind of um, shock troop, kind of um, deeply invested young men called the Jesuits. And here in America, we know the Jesuits out of you know, the universities and schools that they um, started. If you go up into the Northeast, there are soup kitchens and uh, care for the poor. Um, you know, when you wanted to make a difference for Jesus, you called the Jesuits, right? Because they would come in and it would, there was no option. You were going to change, right? And maybe that's not the right book to write either. I think what Ephesians tells us is that there are blessings to being part of God's family and there are responsibilities to being part of God's family. And we've talked about some of those responsibilities, that willingness to be uh, called to a, uh, a purpose, that willingness uh, to tell our story, um, that being part of God's family means we have to tell others what's happened. Um, Paul sums up uh, this passage by saying, giving thanks at all times and for everything. Now, now this isn't just a lesson in etiquette. I, I don't know about you, I, was, I feel like I'm uh, um, just on the edge of becoming um, uh, kind of the old guard, right? You know, I ask questions about, you know, um, uh, of, of the you know, kids and children around me, and I realize I am a digital immigrant and not a digital native, the, you know, um, I remember the tape cassette club. You remember the Columbia, right? You know, you got seven tapes for like a dime a tape. And, and that was awesome because, you know, there, there weren't any CDs or Apple Music or any. Anyways, I, later, if you want to um, uh, reminisce with me about how the world's changed and that we walked uphill both ways uh, to school and all of those things, I'm happy to do that with you. But anyways, so I feel like I'm on this tipping edge from being young to being old, right? I remember 
I could not play with the toys that were given to me at my birthday until I had written a thank you note, put the stamp on it, and mailed it. This was painful for like an eight-year-old boy who's looking at all of the Star Wars toys he's ever dreamed of, and I have to write a thank you note. And so I got really good at it. There was a great formula, you know, dear so-and-so, thank you for the fill-in-the-blank. It is really fill-in-the-blank. I look forward to playing with it and visiting you soon. Signed, Peter, right? Oh, I was like meticulous, right? And I'm sure when they got the thank you note, they were filled with giddiness and joy. No, they recognized there was an eight-year-old whose toys had been held hostage, and he had to say thank you if he was going to get any more. When Paul says, give thanks at all times, it's not a lesson in etiquette. He's not giving us good advice to be polite in society. What he's saying is that that gratitude is a condition of the heart and a driver for discipleship. That gratitude is the foundation of who we are. That the world tells us we don't have enough. But gratitude makes us name what we are already benefiting from. I think these are powerful words that, that to invest in a world where the days are evil, um, where um, the joy that is found is through wine and other things, to invest in a world that tells you you're not enough and you don't have enough, and unless you work 40 hours or more a day, seven days a week, for as long as you can, you'll never get close to having enough. That the way to do that is to engage that world of suffering by being a bright light of gratitude, by being uh, a center that's willing to say, I'm thankful. Instead of being afraid of what's outside the walls, we begin to embrace what's there so that we can be um, a place where the spirit breaks in, where we can be careful but yet aware where we can uh, be pointed towards gratitude. Now, gratitude starts because we realize everything that we have came from God. That's the basic gratitude sentence. But once we realize how generous God has been, we then begin to be grateful for what's around us, for the people who pour their lives into us, for the mentors that we have, the teachers that we've had, um, the schools that we attended, the safe spaces that we find in the midst of difficult days, we become grateful. Now, I would also say that we get to the point to where very simple things become uh, gracious inducing, right? Uh, being able to see the same person um, at the same store, at the same cashier line, and being thankful for the relationship that forms some of the most powerful conversations can be had there at the counter at Bucky's as you go to buy that soft drink before you head out to the next thing that you're going to do. That gratitude begins to transform not just who we are, but what we do in the world. Paul says um, that we should transform the world. Paul says that we should be grateful. When we become um, grateful, it drives our stewardship and our mission. When we are grateful, it brings us faithfully to worship each week. It drives us to our knees in devotion and prayer. 
that gratitude itself opens up the Word of God and allows us to explore what else God is giving us. Gratitude is the best motivator to tell other people about Jesus. That gratitude is that thing that begins to be the story that we tell. We tell it because we are grateful for what God has done for us. So, um, good discussion of Scripture there, Pastor, but what should we do differently? I, I believe that we are people who, if we think differently, we act differently. And if we act differently, we think differently. Those of you who are fans of sociology and psychology, that's cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, when we think differently and act differently, the world begins to change. We didn't have to spend any money. We didn't have to do anything different. We just begin thinking differently. And when we think differently about the people around us, right, that they are um, uh, interested in our success, that they are uh, doing their best with their lives, we no longer demonize those around us, right? It's an easy little trick. You don't even have to change anything. And if we act differently, we begin to think differently as well. Um, I have a challenge for you. I call it the gratitude challenge. I, I want to um, inspire you, encourage you that for the next five days, Monday through Friday, you just have to do it during the work week, take the weekend off, um, that in the evening, I want you to mentally make a note of the three things that you are thankful for during that last 24 hours. Just three things, right? Easy, you know, um, now the trick is, is that if you say three things on Monday, they have to be a different three things on Tuesday and a different three things on Wednesday, right? And, and I, you're looking at me like, oh, pastor, that's like 15 things that we'll be thankful for by the time Friday comes. Well, you've got one for Friday already, that you don't have to do the gratitude exercise again, right? Say, <laughs> so, hey, it's only 14. Yeah. Now, now here, those of you, because I know we're a, a high-achieving, high-potential, you know, striving for the best kind of a congregation. And so if you want to do extra credit, here's your extra credit. Tell somebody what those three things were each night. Tell some, Now, that might be just as easy as turning and looking at the person at the other end of the couch get them, you know, to be distracted from their um, phone, and then tell them what three things you're thankful for. Now, if you want double extra credit, and I'll be going for this this week, um, I'd love for you to come along with me, post it on your social media. What three things are you thankful for? Here's my hypothesis. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, social media is great. Um, I don't like to use it. But social media is great. I'm glad that you use it. Um, but, but the problem with social media for me is that I look at everybody's perfect and I experience my everyday real. Does, it, does that make sense? That when I look at social media, I get their curated, perfect picture of their life. But when I experience mine... I get ups and downs, ins and outs, good and bad. I wonder what it would be like if the people of Chapelwood took just five days to do an exercise of gratitude. How would it change who we are? How would it change what we do and what we focus on? It's a powerful thing when you decide to turn around and look the world in the eyes and say it's not about not having enough. It's about naming what we've already been given. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen.